and welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host, the interviewer of what's now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. Five years of interviewing some of the world's most profound thought leaders, business titans, authors, heroes, people who've survived remarkable tragedies and lived to share their story of thriving, forgiveness, and having a purpose-driven life. I've been very fortunate to have written a series of books about this podcast called Master Mentors from HarperCollins. Volume 1 and Volume 2 are now out, both in paperback, print, digital audio, and video books by Lit Video, where sort of like chicken soup for the leadership podcast soul with the permission of guests. Every year I highlight 30 of them in the Master Mentors series and share one transformative insight that they shared either on air or off air. And volume three will be releasing in the fall on my way to 10 volumes in the Master Mentors series. Our guest today is the American Patriot, a man of selfless service and investment in our country. His name is Gary Sinise. He has been on your television and movie screens for multiple decades. He has come to light in past decades for his dedication and selfless contribution to the members of our armed services veterans and to helping provide and, and, and recommit to our country's commitment to ensure that they can transition back healthily into society. His book was called Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. Gary Sinise, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. Gary, I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. Of course, I followed your career, as has every American and moviegoers and TV watchers alike for many decades. I want to start with a story that you write about. You, know, you were like many American teenagers, you know, kind of trying to find your purpose in your junior high school years, moving around a bit with your family in the greater Chicago area. And you share a story in your book that I think is resonant to all of us. Our co-founder was, of course, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, the eminent leadership mind, his fame, of course, from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book has sold 40 million copies and has launched now what is the world's most trusted leadership company, Franklin Covey, who I've had the privilege to work here for 27 years. One of the concepts that Dr. Covey writes about in his book and is in our Seven Habits offering is this concept of having and being a transition figure. All of us in life have had a transition figure in our lives that changed the course of our thinking. They helped us to build an identity for ourselves and maybe moved us out of self-defeating patterns. I think it's fair to say you've had many of those, including a teacher of yours you refer to as Mrs. Barbara Patterson, that perhaps helped you move from one trajectory to another. Would you maybe open up and talk about the role that Barbara Patterson had in your life and how important transition figures are in all of our lives, both to have them, but also to be them for others? Well, thank you for having me. Um, yes, quite often those transition figures uh, happen by accident. You don't know you're looking for them. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what happened with me uh, in high school. I was a struggling student. Um, we had moved from the, when I was younger, we moved from the south side to the north side and then out to the west side and then back to the north side of chicago uh the chicago area so i was kind of jostled around a little bit and when you're younger uh in those teen years especially you know you're establishing relationships with people you're making friends 
And then I was kind of uh, had had gotten very close with people on the west side of the city where I was growing up in Glen Ellen, Illinois. And then we moved again and um, I was kind of displaced. And I remember being a sophomore in high school, really struggling at Highland Park High School academically, not doing well. The only thing I felt good about was playing music in a band. Uh, I had a band with a couple of pals, uh, but generally I was really struggling all, all my classes, nothing was going right. And I happened to be standing in this hallway and uh, actually probably skipping class. I was, you know, I was known to do that. Um, and grades were very, very poor. Um, and happened to be standing there with some of these band members looking pretty scruffy and uh down the hall came this kind of hurricane woman that she just came blowing down the hall uh you know on a mission going from place to place and she did a double take when she passed us and she looked at us and she said uh do you know the play west side story and i i happen to have seen the movie of west side story it's about the the two gangs and they dance and they fight, you know, in the, in the play. And I did. And she said, well, I'm directing that and you guys look perfect for the gang members. So come after school and audition for the play. And then she went blowing off down the hall. And uh, we looked at each other and we kind of laughed and, uh, you know, being in a play didn't seem like anything we wanted to do, but I was a little bit curious. So after school, I went and stood outside where everybody was going into this room to audition. All the pretty girls were going in there and everything. So I just followed everybody in and with a, a little bit of a curiosity, not taking it very seriously at all. Uh, didn't know what an audition was, had no idea what to do. And uh, somebody said, sign your name here. And I signed my name. And then they said, here's your lines. You know, you read this part. And when your name is called, get up there and do it. And so uh, I waited around and I saw the pretty girls auditioning and everything. And it was kind of fun. And I, they called my name. I got up there and I just started stumbling my way through it, not taking it seriously at all, making jokes and, you know, just kind of screwing around. And I was getting a lot of laughs from the, from the kids that were watching. And the next morning I, uh, you know, everybody goes to see if the, the cast list, right. Anybody who's been in a play at high school, you know, you go and you see if your name is on the cast list. Did you make it? And I went, everybody's crowded around the cast list. I looked and there's my name. I got a little part in the play. I went and started rehearsing it. I fell in love with it. Uh, I became very close with the teacher, Barbara Patterson. And from that moment on, I just wanted to, this was, a, this was a kid who was struggling in school academically, not doing well at all. But all of a sudden I found this, this thing that I just loved and I wanted to do it all. So I signed up for all the theater classes. I auditioned for, for the rest of my high school. I auditioned for, for plays and musicals. And I started playing leads in some of those plays and I found I was good at it. I was a, I was a performer. I guess it came from 
some of the the performing I'd been doing with my bands and stuff through throughout uh, junior high school and high school. And I just loved performing and loved getting up there and doing it. And to this day, she is in her 90s, Barbara Patterson. I have stayed in touch with her over the years. I started a theater company when I graduated from high school. The theater company is now very well-known internationally called Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. It's almost 50 years old now. It's got a multi-million dollar building. It all started because I happened to be standing in that hallway and uh, this transition figure walked down my hall. Just what, what was it? Was it, was it destiny or fate or something? Who knows? But I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And it, it changed the course of my life for sure. I think what you just described is the ultimate definition of leadership. It was someone had someone else in their life that perhaps saw something more in themselves than they saw. And, and we know that all of us have been a beneficiary of that in our lives, in our careers, in our personal lives, professional lives. I appreciate the vulnerability you shared today, but also in the, in the book uh, about how you were generally struggling, not just beyond your grades, right, in terms of lifestyle and, and the vision for your life and such. So, Gary, thank you for reminding all of us to thank those Barbara Pattersons in our lives, but also to make sure we are that in other people's lives as well, as leaders, as parents, as neighbors, as relatives. Uh, you've had a remarkable career, Tonys, Emmys, Oscar nominations. You're probably best known for your work both on uh, the CSI series as well as a variety of major motion pictures. One was, of course, a turning point for you. It was Forrest Gump. It was your role as Lieutenant Dan Taylor. Uh, what changed for you? What changed in your whole mindset about service when that movie came out and you became a voice of returning back, you use the word back quite descriptively in the book, returning and re-engaging in the commitment to American service members. What, what changed in your life from that role? Gosh, uh, ma many things. Um, I hadn't done that many films uh, prior to, to that. I directed a, mo a couple of movies. Uh, uh, one was called Miles From Home with Richard Gere. Uh, and a, a great cast. And uh, the other one was, uh, I made a film of, of Mice and Men, and it was Barbara Patterson uh, in high school who introduced me to Steinbeck. And I fell in love with Steinbeck, and she actually took one of our classes, drama classes, from Highland Park, where, where I grew up, up to Minneapolis on a kind of a two-day two field trip for the class. And we saw three plays at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. And one of those plays was of Mice and Men. And I was just knocked out by it. And later on, I ended up uh, acting in it on stage. Uh, as I said, I started a theater company called Steppenwolf when I was 18, right out of high school. I just wanted to keep acting, wasn't going to college. Started the theater company with some kids. Now it's, uh, it's an internationally recognized uh, theater company. Many great actors have come out of there. And the Steinbeck piece really uh, introduced me to really powerful drama, I remember. So I wanted to direct that. I wanted to be in that play, which we did at Steppenwolf in 1981. 
And then years later, in 1992, I, I got the rights to make it into a movie. John Malkovich and I had done it on stage together. He's a member of the Steppenwolf Theater. John and I had done it on stage, so I asked John to do the movie. And in 1992, the movie came out. Um, and, oh, maybe six months later, eight months later, after the movie came out, uh, 1993, I got a call from my agent saying they want you to come and audition for this movie called Forrest Gump. And I went in and turns out that they had seen Of Mice and Men and that's why they called me in to audition for Forrest Gump, which I, I, I was eager to do because I have Vietnam veterans in my family um, I had gotten very involved in the early 80s with supporting Vietnam veterans in the Chicago area. I had, uh, I, you know, directed some theater uh, pieces uh, that were focused on telling the stories of Vietnam veterans. So I was very, uh, I was very eager to play the Vietnam ver veteran Forrest Gump. So I, I couldn't wait to get to the audition. I did the audition and then I didn't hear anything for a while, uh, but about three weeks later, they called and said, hey, you got the part. So I got the part of Lieutenant Dan. I went to work on the movie. The movie came out July 6, 1994. It was, of course, a you know very big popular movie that year. It won six Oscars, including Best, Best Picture. Um, and about six weeks, maybe, after the movie came out, um, I received a call from the Disabled American Veterans Organization, which I didn't know anything about. And this is an organization that's been, been around since right after World War I. And it, it's an organization focused specifically on advocating and supporting uh, service members who had been injured in, in, during their mil military service. Um, at that time, they had 1.5 million members. They invited me to come to their national convention in Chicago that year. And they wanted to present me with an award for playing Lieutenant Dan in, in Forrest Gump. But this, you know, obviously Lieutenant Dan was severely injured, losing both of his legs. Um, and they felt like they wanted to, uh, you know, salute the, the, the role and, and, you know, my work in the film. So they invited me to their national convention. I went there, I walked out on stage, and I was completely knocked out seeing uh, over 2,000 wounded veterans. And those that could stand up who weren't in wheelchairs were standing up and they were applauding. And um, it was just very, very powerful and very moving. So from that point on, uh, I stayed in touch with the DAV, Disabled American Veterans, and kept, kept working to try to support them. And then several things happened along the way. Uh, and all of a sudden, there we were on September 11, 2001, we get attacked. Uh, and I wanted to be a part of supporting the men and women who were deploying in reaction to that attack. So I raised my hand and I started going out for the USO. This was in, uh, you know, shortly after Forrest Gump, uh, or sh shortly after uh, September 11th. And I remember walking into hospital rooms and they wouldn't know what my name was. 
Uh, people were coming back from the battlefield in either Iraq or Afghanistan injured, and I'd walk into a hospital and they'd recognize me from Forrest Gump and want to talk about Lieutenant Dan. And from that moment on, I just saw that there was a role for me to play in supporting the people that were coming home injured, supporting their, their, the families who have lost loved ones uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I just started raising my hand wherever I could. And that led to one thing led to another. All of a sudden, I'm supporting multiple military and veteran charities, uh, first responder charities, because I got very involved with the FDNY after September 11th. We all remember the firefighters rushing into those buildings and you know, 343 of them got killed that day. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a powerful moment in my book, uh, Grateful American, the, the chapter about September 11th is called Turning Point. And uh, I just, uh, that was a big turning point for me. I, I turned more towards service work than I had ever even thought about. Uh, prior to that, as it says, uh, Grateful American, a journey from self to service. I was focusing on my acting career and, you know, occasionally do, uh, doing something to support the DAV, but nothing near what happened after September 11th. It was truly a turning point for me. And any leader, you know, you know, if you want people to support what you're doing, you have to put your boots boots on and, and get in the trenches. So I didn't I was trying to raise money for multiple uh, military charities and asking people to, to donate to help me take my band to military bases and whatnot. And I knew that, you know, the only way to do that and having been a leader of Steppenwolf Theater and, and helped to build that theater, I, I I just know what it takes. You can't expect somebody to follow if you aren't, aren't willing to get in the trench and, and go out there and do it. So I was, uh, I was putting my boots on and going here, there, and everywhere, trying to uh, support the men and women who were serving our country and then created a foundation. And that foundation was built on a long track record of going where uh, they are living and working and the hospitals and military bases and and a long track record of doing that. So that's why you see my foundation with my name on it. You know, why would you put your name on something if you, if you didn't, you know, I mean, you put your name on something and that means you are endorsing it and you are asking people to trust you explicitly with what with the support that you're asking them to give and having been in those trenches and traveled the world and gone here and there and try and raised millions of dollars to support the men and women who were serving our country i felt that i had built a pretty reliable reputation with regards to you know doing the work to support them and so i said well I'm going to put my name on this and people are going to know it's for real. And, uh, and that's why it's called the Gary Sinise Foundation. Gary, it's a, it's a, it's a touching journey. Talk more specifically about what the Gary Sinise uh, Foundation does and maybe even share a story of, is there a memorable experience that kind of keeps you going? Was there a particular veteran or a family that the foundation to the support of millions of Americans 
have touched, is there one story in particular that might inspire people to get involved? Oh, there, there's, there's so many, um, you know, way, way too many to, to uh, hold on one sec. I'm going to shut this door. <laughs> Gary Sinise has a real life like you and I with family at home and dogs running around and <laughs> grandkids in pajamas. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Uh, it was loud out there. You're Gary Sinise. You're allowed to walk off stage for a minute. It's okay. <laughs> Talk about See, some of that. It's real life. Here. Gary, two-part two question. Talk about the work that the Gary Sinise Foundation does, and is there maybe one or two examples you'd like people around the world to know about that when they support your foundation, this is what happens? So there, uh, we have multiple programs at the Gary Sinise Foundation. And the reason why we're so kind of, there's such a variety in what we do. We touch wounded service members, Gold Star families, first responders. We provide entertainment. We, we provide, uh, you know, meals, all kinds of things at the Gary Sinise Foundation. The origins of all those programs are just go back to what I was doing before I had the foundation. For example, uh, one of our programs uh, is called RISE, Restoring Independence, Supporting Empowerment. That is a uh, program where we provide, uh, it's, it's specifically focused on wounded service members, people that are missing limbs, they have traumatic brain injuries, severe burns, uh, blindness, uh, you name it, whatever, whatever uh, very, very severely wounded folks because of their service to our country. And I'll, I'll give you one example of the origins of this program. Uh, I was, um, I had started a program way back when, after going on my first trip to Iraq 20 years ago. And uh, on that trip, I had visited uh, Iraqi schools and I had seen our, our service members uh, rebuilding schools over there and uh, trying to help the, the children. And this was during a time where the Iraq war was, was very difficult. There was a big insurgency. It was not very popular. popular. There, were, there were a lot of criticisms about whether we should be in Iraq or not. Well, having Vietnam veterans in my family, I, I remember what it was like for Vietnam veterans. Uh, they getting caught in the middle of a divided nation and a, and a media that had turned its back on, on the war and all that. I didn't want that to happen to our Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. So I, I tried to do what I could. And after going to Iraq uh, and visiting these schools and seeing our service members interact with these kids, and it was beautiful to see them and to see the kids just embracing the soldiers, we weren't hearing about that. So I came home and I started a program to collect school supplies and send to the soldiers so that they could take them out to the villages that they were going through and pass these school supplies out to the children in these various schools. We sent hundreds of thousands of school supply kits over there. And on one of our trips, uh, I had teamed up with American Airlines early on, and they started providing travel support for me and for my band and for different things. Well, we came up with a, a mission trip where they would take about 22 tons of these school supplies over to Iraq and uh, distribute them. 
I was shooting CSI New York, so I couldn't go on that trip, but they, they went, they took the supplies. I had some other friends go on that trip. Uh, and on their way back, they went to Germany and they stopped in Germany. And uh, some, some of the folks on the trip went to Landstuhl Medical Center to visit some of our wounded there. And I got a call saying, hey, we're at the hospital. There's a soldier here who just arrived at the hospital. He was blown up two days ago. He lost both his arms and both his legs. And he's going to be uh, heading back home to Walter Reed very shortly. I had a trip coming up to Walter Reed where I just would go and visit the, the troops. Lieutenant Dan would walk in and visit folks that were in their hospital beds. So I knew I would go see him. His name is Brendan Morocco. He lost both arms, both his legs. He was a soldier in the U.S. Army. I went into Walter Reed. I saw him, uh, visited with him. About six months later, I was shooting in New York, CSI New York. Um, and the commissioner of the fire department came to my set and I had, I had helped them and the FDNY raise money to build a memorial there and, and do all kinds of things. And he came and said, we have a soldier who's missing both his arms and both his legs from Staten Island and we want to build him a house. And I said, I know who you're talking about. I just saw him in the hospital a few months ago. So I volunteered to donate my band to raise the money to build the house for Brendan Morocco. That was the origins of what, what grew into our RISE program at the Gary Sinise Foundation, where we've now given away uh, 81 homes to very severely badly wounded service members. And these are life-changing homes for them and their families. They are mortgage-free homes. They are specifically designed to uh, accommodate the disabilities and the, and the challenges that somebody who is very, very severely injured is facing in life. And they can be a real stress reliever taking that off. That is one, uh, uh, one moment uh, visiting the hospitals that I'll never forget because uh, and I visited the hospital multiple times and, and met hundreds of wounded service members. Uh, but that one stands out for me because it led to the creation of a program at my foundation that has, uh, you know, raised millions of dollars to provide these specially adapted smart technology homes. We put all kinds of smart technology in there that can make life just more independent and much more manageable for somebody who's been severely injured in battle and sacrificed so much for our country. Gary, it's hard not to appreciate your life of service, listening to your stories. Our time is ending here. I wanna ask you one final question. You've been described reluctantly by many as the modern day Bob Hope. You've lived a life of service and inspired uh, countless millions around the world to do the same for their own great causes, including that of the Gary Sinise Foundation. I'd like you to finish our conversation by speaking to the millions of parents that are listening or watching to this and the millions of business leaders, entrepreneurs, coaches, mentors, guides, allies, supporters. You know, you were a kid in Chicago that was on the wrong path. You write about it very transparently in the book. 
not just poor grades, but skipping school and, you know, casual, you know, dereliction of responsibility and all kinds of things that are best read in the book as you're very vulnerable about the path you were on. All of us have someone in our life we see, whether it's one of our children, whether it's perhaps a frontline employee. Would you just kind of reignite everyone's instinct for service to become that Barbara Patterson? Because honestly, had it not been for those maybe early transition figures in your life, I'm not sure you'd be where you are now. Clearly you are talented and you have you know, a great sense of selfishness and an incomparable work ethic and on and on and on. You have earned the right to be where you are and you've lived a life of service. Um, reinfuse in everyone the gift today to go forward and be that transition figure in someone else's life. Oh, um, thank you. Um, yes, as I said, there, there may have been some, some destiny involved. There may have been uh, some fate involved. There may have been just some uh, magic involved that happened to place me in, 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 in a certain place at a certain time that I would end up discovering something that I would be good at and able to, to make a living at and to succeed at. But I also think that, um, you know, early in, early in life, my father was, uh, he was very, very busy working all the time. So my mother was the one in charge of raising her three children, taking care of her own mother and her own sister. And I was in some ways left to my own devices. And that, that went two ways. One, I got into trouble and uh, ended up falling in with, you know, kids that were not uh, necessarily doing the right thing all the time. On the other hand, it, it kind of forced me to make things up. And I found that at an early age, whether I knew it or not, there was something, uh, there was something in me that uh, kind of uh, took took the bull by the horns. I mean, I, I, if there was a baseball game in the neighborhood that needed to be organized, I was the guy that organized it. If, uh, if there was a, a you know, a, a, a band thing that I wanted to do, I would figure out what music we were going to play and try to set up some show in somebody's backyard. I, I kind of had this do it yourself, go for it, instinct and impulse as a young person that later manifested itself into running a theater company uh, by the seat of my pants, making it up as we went along because none of us had ever done that before. I was 18 years old, started the theater company, then became the artistic director. Uh, I had to, had to make decisions had to learn how to make decisions, how to uh, get along. And somebody's got to decide what we're going to do on stage. Somebody's got to decide who's going to be in what. Somebody's got to decide how we're going to raise a little money. Um, we had to make those things up. So early on in my early 20s and into my mid-20s, I, I was a leader of a theater company, and, I, and, and we were making it up as we went along. The more we failed the more we succeeded because each failure led to a new series of successes because we learned from our mistakes. <laughs> we 
um, made made you know decisions the next time that uh, we learned from uh, the bad decisions that we'd made uh, prior to that. And each time we made those decisions, we got stronger. Uh, and as we got stronger, we got more support for what we were doing. But I couldn't ask people to follow if I wasn't you know, willing to kind of take charge, lead, and you know, show them that I, I, I could learn from my own failures and from my own mistakes and get better at it. Um, maybe some of that is what that first mentor, Barbara Patterson, saw in me, that there was something, while I wasn't academically uh, successful uh, in school, while I failed my history class and my English class and my math class and my science class, I was good on stage and I became a leader in the theater department. One of the, one of the top actors in the theater department ended up directing my first plays in, in, in high school. We ended up building our first theater in the cafeteria at the high school, which led to us building an, a, a theater after high school. And now if you go to Steppenwolf in Chicago, if anybody's in Chicago, you'll know that Steppenwolf takes up an entire city block in a multi-million dollar complex. And that complex was started by a bunch of kids with a passion, a desire to do something and willing to sacrifice for it. We didn't make any money in the beginning. Uh, nobody was in it for the money. It was all about the passionate desire to do something that we loved. And, there's, and, and that manifested itself later on in this journey from self to service, in a devotion to taking the successes and, and the good fortune that I've had in the acting and in movie world and TV world and turning it into something that could benefit others. Now that makes the career much more joyful. I mean, the fact that I was able to take my movie career and do something to create a non another nonprofit that has benefited a lot of people that that makes the movie career and the TV career all that much more worth it for me. There's a, there's a, a a quote in my book when joy connects to mission, a life of purpose begins to take shape. When joy connects to mission, a life of purpose begins to take shape. Why would you devote all kinds of time running around the country, all kinds of money, uh, many, many hours visiting people that you don't know to try to help them through a difficult time if you weren't getting some personal joy from that? And I've got, uh, you know, while the people that we help at the Gary Sinise Foundation are in difficult straits, going through difficult challenges, losing loved ones. We help kids that have lost parents. Some very difficult and challenging things that we hear every day at the Gary Sinise Foundation. Um, yet, while we go through that, we know that our purpose and our mission here is to lift people out of their grief, lift people out of their circumstance and make them feel better. That's a joyful thing. And it's uh, it's joyful to know that millions, you know, 
have uh, probably millions have seen my band around the world and you know benefited uh, in some way from some of the work that we've been doing over over the years and that we've got thousands and thousands of our fellow citizens that are willing to support the Gary Sinise Foundation with their generous donations so that we can expand our outreach and always do a little more. That's uh, that's a great, great feeling, um, you know, and having mentors and people that help you along the way and pat you on the back and tell you to keep going, you're doing a good job. That that can be the motivator to uh, take another step forward each day. Gary, you kind of always hope your mentors rise to the occasion when you meet them and you've done that today. Your selfless service to our country is nothing less than inspirational and motivating. And I want the listeners and viewers today to know your publicity team spent set very clear parameters. He has X period of time today with us and you've almost doubled that by, by investing in our <laughs> listeners and viewers. So I want everyone to know that you have far exceeded our expectations in terms of your continued selflessness. Your book is Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. Gary Sinise, thank you for your time today. It is my absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. <music>